we all have favorite sports, right? I grew up watching football, which is soccer. And uh, I also love martial arts. Uh, many of you know that I've trained for many years, martial arts, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I love MMA. And uh, when you think about your favorite sports and you think about uh, some of the favorite moments that you've had in that sport or with your particular team that you're a fan of, uh, these are things that are very, very hard to forget. Uh, because while you were experiencing it, it stirred up your emotions. It turned you and, uh, and, and to, into someone uh, that was even, become, were to become even a bigger fan of the team and of the sport. I remember watching this old MMA fight uh, in the UFC. My favorite fighter was always this man by the name of Anderson Silva. He was a Brazilian striker and he had been very successful. He had a very long uh, winning streak. He was beating everyone. And uh, along, uh, along uh, the lines of, of uh, you know, the, the, the roster that they had, there, there was this guy uh, by the name of Chael Sonnen who was a wrestler who said, you know, I can end his winning streak. I can totally take him down. And, uh, you know, so they, they matched these two guys up and uh, leading up to the fight, the trash talk was awesome. And so yeah, it was very exciting. I mean, I love the trash talk in boxing and, and in uh, MMA. I mean, it helps to build up the promotion. And, and so it was awesome. And I, I couldn't wait for the day that they would get into uh, that cage and that Anderson would completely destroy uh, Chael Sonnen. Right? And so the day finally arrives. I, I, I go with a group of Crossbridge friends to the Miller Ale House here in Pinecrest, and we're watching the fight. And to our shock and surprise, he loses the first round. Chael Sonnen is a wrestler, so he takes him down and beats him on the ground. And then the second round comes around, and we're like, oh, this time he's going to, I mean, obviously he was just kind of, you know, feeling the, the opponent and all that. Same thing happens. He's taken down. He's beat up by Chosona. Third round comes around. I was like, oh, there's, there's some hope here. It happens again. He's taken down. He's beat up. Fourth round, same thing again. And now my friends are beginning to taunt me, right? They're saying, oh, where, where, where's your champion? And I'm telling them, don't count him out just yet. I was like, man, there's no way he's going to win this fight. He's going into the last round. That, that's going to happen once again. And the fifth round starts and the same thing happens again. And we're going now into the final, the final minute of the fight. And uh, I'm like, now, now for sure he has lost. And he slaps this triangle submission out of nowhere in his opponent. And he ends up getting him to tap and he wins the fight. And at that moment, I took my shirt off at Miller Ale House and I was spinning it around. I was like, I told you, I told you. I mean, I'm like making fun and just like boasting out loud, something a Christian should never do. Shaming, shaming my friends that were rooting against me. And it was a wonderful night. And <laughs> it was, it was just a wonderful night. And I, and I remember, I, I remember going home and I was watching the, 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 the post-fight press conference. And, and they asked Anderson, it's, it's still there. They're, they were asking him, how come you were not able to implement your striking? Because he's a striker. And you uh, pulled your win off of a submission off your back on the ground. And he says, I wanted to prove 
that I'm not just a striker. The whole fight, I wanted him to put me in that position because I was working that submission all along. I was like, that's amazing. The whole time, he is waiting for that moment because he wants to make a point. He wants to prove something to people. And I was thinking about this this week because oftentimes that's how we relate to God. When the situation in life uh, begins to look impossible, uh, when things begin to darken around us, when the circumstances begin uh, to go a different way than we have expected. It's very natural for us that we begin to count God out. We begin to lose all hope and to sink into despair. And if there's one thing that Christmas reminds us is that we should never count God out. As a matter of fact, the passage that we're reading from today is a passage that tells us that nothing is impossible to God. And therefore, the title of the sermon today is Don't Count Him Out. So let's go to Luke chapter 1, and let's read verses 26 through 38. This is a very famous passage. Chances are that this passage uh, was preached to you before. Maybe you've read this passage. Uh, Maybe you've uh, watched a movie about this passage. It's a very famous passage, and it goes like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Listen, for nothing will be impossible with God. Don't count God out. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. What what this passage uh, allows us to see is, number one, that there is this ultimate reality at play. Okay, There's this ultimate reality that we need to be aware of. Uh, Secondly, this passage talks about our need, the need that we have, which is to live under this ultimate reality. And then uh, thirdly, it gives us the connection between this reality and our need. How do we take this reality 
and we place it upon our need so that our need is ultimately met. So the reality, our need, and the connection between this reality and our need. How do we experience this reality? So let's go one. What is the reality? The, the reality here that we find in this text is uh, that God is always moving. Christmas reminds us over and over again, every time that we go through the season, every time that we read these stories, there's a clear reminder that God is always moving, that God is never static, that God is never stagnant. Even though things may seem stagnant, God is never stagnant. God is always moving. Think about this. This world that God has created, every single thing about this world, the smallest of particles is always moving. Everything in this universe is moving. Light is moving. Trees are moving. The waters are moving. We live in a world, in a universe that's characterized by movement because it was created by a God who's always moving. That is the truth. God is always moving. I know sometimes in our lives it doesn't seem like he's moving, but he's always moving. And this is a very famous passage. You've heard it before. This is the annunciation of the birth of Christ when the angel Gabriel shows up to Mary and says to her that the Holy Spirit would conceive a son in her and that this son that would be born would be uh, a king as a descendant of David. And he would take over his ancestor's throne, David's throne, and he would rule forever. But it also tells us, and as the angel speaks to Mary, that he would be God. He would be God come into the flesh. Uh, we, we know this about this passage, but one, one little detail that sometimes gets overlooked is what we read in verse 36. Uh, because in, in verse 36, I don't know if you were paying attention, I'm going to read it again uh, so it's fresh in our memories. We read that as the angel finishes talking about this child that would be born, the angel gives a form of proof and an evidence of a previous miracle so that it would enhance Mary's ability to trust and to believe. Verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, right? So if you begin to read Luke chapter 1, that's how it starts. Luke chapter 1 starts with the angel showing up to Elizabeth's husband, a minister by the name of Zechariah. And uh, Zechariah, in the beginning of Luke chapter 1, is going about his business, as pastors do on the holy day. You know, he is preparing to come into church, like Pastor David Shim and like myself, and to uh, lead you into worship and to open the word of God and offer praises and sacrifices and worship to God on behalf of the people. So he's going in, and it's as he's going in that the angel of the Lord meets him in his weakened routine. He has an encounter with the angel of the Lord who breaks the news and tells him, hey, I want to let you know that your wife is pregnant. And he fires back at the angel, how can this be? We're, we're too old. Because his heart is filled with unbelief, the angel says, okay, well, this is still going to happen regardless of the fact you believe or not, but you're going to lose your voice. You're not going to be able to speak. Think about this. This is his job. He needs his voice. I mean, if God took away my voice, I couldn't preach. And he says, I'm going to take away your voice so that you can just listen. Because oftentimes we're just speaking, 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 speaking. And God says, sometimes I just want you to listen, to shut up, shut the heavens up. And I want you, and I want you, I want you 
to listen. That's my contextualized church version of that expression. It says, I just want you to listen. God oftentimes does that, and that's what happens to Zechariah. But I think about the, the reality of when God showed up to Zechariah, that moment in his life, in a very common routine of his, and, 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 when, and when God also shows up through this angel to Mary, they were just going about their lives. You know, Zechariah is going about his work. Mary is preparing herself to... Uh, to, to get married to Joseph. The text tells us that she's betrothed, meaning she's engaged to this young man by the name of Joseph. Uh, it is believed that they were young teenagers, around 13, 14 years old. And in and, and that year of betrothal, you know, she was to be with the older women from the village that would teach her what it meant to be a wife. And she was just going about her business. That's what she had in mind, her wedding day, as some of you, uh, that one day will get married, that's a prophetic word, over your life. And some of you that have married your children and some of you that have gotten married, you know what it, what it feels like, that preparation period towards your wedding day. She's just going about her routine. She's just thinking about the flowers. She's thinking about uh, the dress. Uh, she's thinking about, uh, you know, the, the, the life that they would have together and her duties and responsibilities. She's just thinking about that, putting one foot in front of the other. And it's while she is going about her business, it's while Zacharias is going about his daily business that God shows up. Now, there's something interesting about this as well, and that is the fact that, I don't know if you knew this, but prior to the enunciation of the angel that comes from God, the text is very clear that the God speaks through, the, through angel Gabriel to both of these people. God had stopped speaking to these people, and there was 400 years of silence. Gabriel breaks the 400 years of silence. That God says, I will no longer speak to my people because of the rebellion in their hearts. There's silence. There is 400 years before the, between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament. There's silence. And God breaks the silence. And what's amazing is if you were living in that period of time, those 400 years, you would think that God had stopped speaking, that God had stopped working, that God had forgotten. If you were Zachariah and Elizabeth, you thought that there was no chance that they would ever have a child in their lifetime. They were already very, very old. And if you were Mary, you had no idea that you were going to get pregnant before having the first night with your husband. But while they could not see God at work, God was at work and he showed up in the most unexpected way. God is very unpredictable. We try to predict God's move. That's a mistake. Stop predicting God's move. God is unpredictable, and this is what the story reminds us. And he's always doing something, but it's never according to our way. It's never according to our expectations. It's always going beyond our expectations because that's the nature of the God that we serve, and this is what this story reminds us of. I mean, if you were to ask me, uh, in my teenage years when I was in high school, if my life would turn out the way it is today, I would tell you no. I would have no idea that I would become a pastor. In fact, that was the last thing I wanted to be because my dad was a pastor. And at that age, I wanted to be everything that my dad was not. but I became a pastor. And, and, and as some of you know a little bit about my story. I was not a very easy child and teenager for my parents to handle. <laughs> I was constantly getting myself into trouble. The day that I was ordained in 1999, I had a, um, 
a middle school teacher come to my ordination service and say to me after the service, this is a miracle of God. (laughs) That you would become a pastor. But God was working in my life through my story, through people, through events and circumstances and, and unfolding his plan at the proper time before me. I had no idea that uh, I would marry the woman that I'm married to today. I had no idea that we, that, that we would be married this long, and I'm looking forward to the many more years ahead. It's a miracle. I definitely married up, like some of you as well. It is a miracle. I had no idea that I would be doing ministry in this day and age right here in Miami. This is the last place I thought of. I had no idea that Crossbridge would become the church that it has become, that God would do all the things that he has done so far in the life of our church. And these things did not happen when I made the decision to marry or when I made the decision to move to Miami. God was always at work even before any decision was made. Because that's how he leads history. He designs and he unfolds his plan. His will is sovereign. And we're submissive to his providence. That's how it works. In the most unseen ways sometimes and the most unexpected ways, God is always at work. This is what this story tells us. And maybe you're here today and you look at your finances, you look at your health, you look at the life that your kids are living, you look at your marriage, and you may seem God is not doing anything here. Where is God when I really, really need him? What's happening? Just because you can't see him move, it does not mean that he is not moving. He is at work even right now as you're sitting and listening to this word. He's using this word to allow you to see that he is always moving. So don't count him out just yet. This passage also uh, allows us to see what our need truly is. What does this reality reveal about us? That God is always moving. It, 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 uh, It doesn't tell us anything new, number one, because regardless of the fact of whether you believe or not that God is moving, he is moving. It doesn't matter. If you believe that the earth is flat, guess what? The world, the earth is still round, okay? It, it, it doesn't change anything about the being of God, your perception of how God works and how God interacts with his created order. It doesn't change anything. God is going to keep on moving. God is going to keep on working. Your perception doesn't change anything. Your perception does not change God's actions, but it changes yours. It changes ours. And that's what I want to get to today. Because we all have this need of seeing God move and seeing God at work. All of us have that need. You cannot live life. It was designed to live unless you live with the expectancy of the supernatural. Life is always best lived when it's lived by faith and not by sight, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5. There's something to being able to live life with a sense of wonder compared to living life wonderless. And some of you here today have lost all wonder. 
about what it means to have a relationship with God. And I know that you've been in church for decades, and I know that you know this passage and many others as well. But you live a wonderless, wonderless faith. And I, I know from the fact that many of you come into this space without any expectation that God could actually speak to you, that God can actually minister to you. You come with the burden of the obligation of doing what your spiritual leaders tell you to do week in and week out. But you never enter this space expecting God to speak, to God to move in a special and particular way. And many have asked me, what, what's the difference between people that experience God and people that have this stale spirituality? It's all in the expectation. If you come here expecting God to speak and to move, to see him, you will see him. He will move to you. But if you don't, you will leave this place unchanged. You will, you will go on about your life with this continued sense of wonderlessness. That is even a word. But God wants to restore your sense of wonder. You know, wonder is key. It's important. You know, because wonder transforms ordinary moments into extraordinary experiences. Uh, many are standing in front of beautiful nature, and they're unmoved then. Some of us stand in front of oceans and mountains and there's a deep forming experience that happens and takes place. What is the difference? It's the expectation. It's the, uh, the, the willingness to be sensitive to what is happening around you and through you. That's the difference. And therefore, sometimes an observation of a natural sight. And when you're looking at the birds this past week, we were in the backyard, Beth and I, you know, I don't know, but the, the macaws just come out this time of the year. And, you know, they're, they're probably having a fight in our backyard. It was so loud. But it's amazing to see these amazing, large, beautiful birds, you know, hovering over your backyard. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, thank you, Jesus, for being so detailed and designing, you know, beauty and it's all around us, especially in these birds that sometimes we don't notice. But it always points to God whenever you are willing and open to see in him at work and on the move. These ordinary experiences become extraordinary. conversations, meals. They become soul-shaping because you expected that to happen and take place. And my prayer for you during this season is that you would not move through life like Zachariah with the ordinary of the supernatural and the religious life, going into church to minister to people without any expectation that God could actually speak to him, the professional pastor. If you come expectant, God will meet you. If you enter this season with a sense of awe and wonder for that which has taken place, because at the end of the day, this is a, what we're talking about here, guys, the greatest miracle that has ever happened. It only happens, happened once. It'll never happen again. 
Think about this. The creator God of the universe that has created all things takes upon himself flesh and enters into the world as a baby. Here's what I believe, that past miracles are hope builders for future miracles. And that the awareness of present miracles prepare your heart for future miracles. And in this season, that's what God wants to do. He wants to show you that really, really, really nothing is impossible for him. Look at what he has done. Look at how he's intervened in history. And therefore, this is how he can intervene in your life. Because if you lose the sense of wonder, there will be a huge sense of tragedy that will take over your reality in your life. I think about this in this passage, in this story. What if Mary did not believe what the angel had said? What if? What if she said, that's bogus and left? She would still be pregnant because God still works, even though when we don't see him at work, she would still be pregnant. And now she would try to control the situation because there was a huge issue of shame in her culture. She either has to run away or hide her pregnancy, eliminate her pregnancy. She would be overtaken with fear of consequences. There would be a continuous building towards cynicism as it happens here with Zachariah. He's become cynical. He doesn't laugh at the angel like someone else in the Bible, but he's dismissive of the message that he receives from God through the angel because he had become cynical towards God and towards people. He lived in a day and an era that was not like the era of Elijah and the other prophets of old, that God didn't speak anymore, so he thought this is the new norm. This isn't a hallucination. This is something else. I don't know what this is, but it can't be God speaking. He became cynical. And I was reading this book about burnout a couple years ago, and what this author was saying was that the last station that you stop before burnout is cynicism. When you can't trust anyone, when there's no expectation of the extraordinary of God, when you know that nothing in life will satisfy and fulfill you and you lost all hope, you lost purpose, that leads you to breakdown. And some of you are in a state of complete breakdown because you have lost all sense of wonder. It has made you a manipulative person filled with fear and anxiety. It is turned you into a bitter person, cynical person. And not only are you falling apart, but everything in your life around you begins to fall apart because that's who you've become. See the danger of living a wonderless faith? See the danger of living a life where you don't see when you're not attuned to all the moves of God, the small and the big ones in your life? Because when you are aware that God is always moving in and through you and around you, that changes your perspective. That's what we see here in Mary. Here's this 13, 14-year-old giving this theologian, this professional pastor, a lesson of how to respond to that which God is doing. And I think it's because of that that Jesus later on says that we, we need a childlike faith. 
Because a childlike faith is a faith that's filled with wonder. Your children are filled with wonder. As a matter of fact, the reason why we buy gifts during Christmas is not because our kids need any of the trash that we give them on the 25th. It's all crap. You know that. It's going to end up in a bin somewhere at Goodwill. We've given gifts to family members, and a year later when we're at Goodwill, we see the same gifts there. It's like, oh, nice. Very well. My wife is laughing because she knows it's true. And the same we do to others too. And then someone comes. I don't need to do this, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> and then someone comes at, at, at church and they're so generous. They say, hey, we have all these bags of toys. We would love to give it to your kids. And then they come like with these old toys and you're like, you can't say no. You're like, oh, sure. Thank you so much for your generosity. The wife was pressuring the husband, we need to clean the closets. We need to clean this thing. Give it to the pastor and his kids, right? That's how it works. I was going to be real here with y'all. That's how it is. <laughs> but when, when you have a childlike faith, when you are able to see God on the move, when, when, you're, when your eyes are open. By the way, that's what a Christian is. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone whose eyes have been opened to see that what God has already done for them. That's what a Christian is. And this is what we see here in Mary. What do we see here in her? See, when you're able to see God on the move, moving around you, you know that you're loved. There's an awareness and an assurance of God's love for you. How does the angel greet Mary? Oh, favored one. And as the angel is talking to her, he says, you've been favored by God. You're able to see God's care and God's love in the smallest ways that fills your heart with gratitude. And, and, and not, not only that, but you find your sense of purpose in this. You're not just an aimless life going through this earth and this lifetime with no purpose and direction, but you, you, you encounter what purpose is. How does she respond after the angel finishes talking to her? She says, I am the Lord's maid servant. May it be done to me as his word says. And because she lives a life now filled with purpose, she understands her place in redemptive history. You begin to understand your place in this world and you begin to, to understand why God has given you this story of life, how he has wired you in this particular way, why he has placed you in certain situations. When you understand your purpose, you are filled with courage because that's the second thing that we see with her. She now has to face her community. She now has to face, uh, you know, the voice of the critics and the haters and the shame that's going to be thrown on her. She, but she does it gladly. She has no problem because when you live a life filled with purpose, you are able to face your fears because you know that joy is always on the other side. There's no joy in a life that's lived purposeless. No joy. If all you're doing in life is making money, that's, what do you do in life? I just make money. If that, that is purposeless. I'm just living life to find romance. That's purposeless. If you don't see God moving and you don't understand your purpose and the way in which he moves, there, you're, there's fear and there's no courage. But when there is, you don't, you don't leave, live life based on convenience and circumstance. You're based on purpose and you can face any fear because you know that's, that, that's where you find your joy. 
when you do what you're supposed to do, when you live the life that God has created and designed for you to live, that's what we see in her. And that's my prayer for each one of you here today. So then why, why are we not doing this? Because we fail to connect this reality to this need of ours. And I want to close this sermon today by talking about how do we take this reality that God is always moving and we, we put it to bear over our need in our lives so that our sense of wonder is restored. There's this apparatus that's available to us because it's been gifted to us by God, and that is faith. Faith is what connects this ultimate reality that God is moving and opens our eyes to perceive him at work and moving. That's what faith does. It builds that connection. It's interesting when you read the gospel accounts, Jesus goes into certain regions and he's performing all these miracles. And he says, I couldn't perform miracles here because they were filled with unbelief. See, faith prepares the environment for God to manifest his will and his work. It allows you to see God at work. That's what faith does. And so uh, there's two things about faith. Number one, there's, there's the method of, of how to uh, increase our faith or how to arrive at faith. Maybe some of you here today haven't arrived at faith yet. And some of you um, need to train your faith, need to build faith. So how do we do that? There's a method. We're going to talk about the method. And then there's the object of that method. First is the method. What is the method? Is to learn how to ask honest questions. So it's interesting about Zechariah and Mary. They're both afraid. The angel says to both of them, don't be afraid. They're both asking questions. How can this be? But there's something about the way in which Mary is asking questions that is different from the way that Zechariah responds and approaches that which the angel tells him. And that is that the text tells us in verse uh, 29, that, uh, that Mary tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. She is asking questions, but she's trying to put things together. She is open-minded. Zechariah, he's closed-minded. He's questioning, but he's filled with unbelief and cynicism. And one of the things that we've said here at Crossbridge Church is that we want to be a safe community for all of those who are asking questions and all of those who doubt, especially in this season who doubt the miracle of the incarnation and who doubt everyday miracles that are performed by God in our lives. This is a safe place for you to ask questions. And uh, we believe that if you are willing uh, to start with the answers, you will end with doubts. But if you start with doubts and questions, you will find the answers. In the Bible, when you read the Bible, the people that have the strongest expressions of faith are precisely the ones that ask questions. And they did it with an open mind, with curiosity. Because that, that's what wonder is, it's curiosity. And so Christmas invites us to ask questions with a deep sense of curiosity. And, 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 and put the focus on the object of this faith which is the child that would come into the world. And I think that the key question that every one of us should be asking is, is Jesus, who the angels prophesied, is Jesus really who the angel said he would be? 
is, does he fit the description of verse 32 and 33? Is he he God's king sent to us? Is he God in the flesh come to us? Or is he just a teacher, an inspiring leader? Is he God come to save us? Is that who he is? Because at the end of the day, if he is not, nothing really matters. Some of you have issues with Christianity and you're thinking about all these fringe issues. Forget those and look at Jesus. Because if Jesus is not God incarnate in the flesh that has come to die for our sins and raise for our our justification and our salvation, then nothing really matters. But if he is, then everything changes. So look at the object of the faith. At the end of the day, what saves us is not the quality of our faith, but the object of our faith. Is it placed on Jesus or not? And if it is, and if he is exactly who the angels prophesied that he would be, and all the prophets of old prophesied uh, about the person that he would be of God and God, then could he have done all of that because he loves humanity? Are the words of John 3.16 true that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die? Did he do that, not just for humanity, but did he do that for me? Could I be that loved by God that he would come in the flesh for my sake? Ask that question. And if he is God in the flesh that has come for your sake, then you take that big miracle of the incarnation and the resurrection and you use it as a foundation to believe in the future miracles of God in your life. And you come to the point where you're saying, how can I deny, how can I deny anything that the Lord can do in my life? How can I deny that? And, and in fact, who am I to deny what the Lord can do in my life? You know, some of you are here today and, and you have counted God out. There's no hope for my children. There's no hope for this friend of mine. There's no hope for my health. There's no hope for my finances. There's no hope for my career. And you're filled with anxiety. You're trying to manipulate things. You're controlling things. And you're tired. You're completely exhausted because you have counted God out. And the invitation for all of us here today is that you would not count God out, that you would actually count on him for that. God is inviting you through this story. He says, I am here and you can count on me. Would you count on him for that which is before you, for that which you think is irreparable, for that which you think is irreconcilable? Would you trust on him for that which you think is a complete lost cause? And will you come to yourself and say, I will count on you, not count you, I will count on you, I cannot deny what you can do. God wants you to bring you to this place today. Are you ready to be brought to this place today where you're saying to him, I believe. My sense of wonder has been restored. I will not deny what you have done. And I will not deny what you can do. You stand up. And here's the moment that you make a declaration of that. We're going to sing a song that is your response. It's your declaration to this truth. And you're saying, God, I believe I've lived long enough discounting your supernatural action in my life. I find myself now in a place of 
hopelessness, but I want to be restored. I want to have my eyes open. I want to be sensitive to your move. I want to believe that what I have believed so far is impossible is actually possible because nothing, as the angel said, is impossible to you. Father, we come to you this morning and we see your love. We see your heart inclined towards us by how you sent your son into the world. Humanity thought it was forgotten. It was in darkness until your son appears. And Father, through Jesus, all hope is restored. And Jesus bears evidence that you are very much at work in the world because you have done the greatest work to repair and restore all things. Father, we want to live in that light and that reality, believing and understanding right now. Father, we pray that you would um, toss away our cynicism. Father, we pray that uh, uh, you would heat up our cold hearts and souls. Father, that you would restore in us this amazing sense of wonder in the gospel. This is good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's sing.